0: Hey, Pastor Shawn here. Thank you so much for checking out our sermons online. I want to let you know whether this is your first time watching one of our sermons or you're just reviewing a sermon as you've heard here on the campus. I welcome you, but I do want to let you know we have a core value at Coastal Community Church and that core value is that you find a local church to be a part of. And so, uh, if this, Hopefully this sermon series or this sermon is supplementing your spiritual growth, but I want to encourage you to find a, a local church. If you live in the Yorktown, Virginia area, we would... Love for you to visit us. We have three services: uh, eight o'clock, nine thirty, and eleven. And we meet at one hundred one Village Avenue. Thank you so much for checking out this sermon online. I hope it encourages your walk and your journey with Jesus Christ. Uh, do me a favor, get your Bible out. All right, we're going to start a new series, "Strong in His Might," and uh, we are going to be looking at the armor of God found in Ephesians chapter six. And so, if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's probably one in a chair in front of you, at least nearby. And if you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you, okay? That would be our gift to you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word, and uh, especially if you will commit to reading it on a regular basis, we know that it will it'll change your life, okay? So Ephesians chapter 6, I uh, ran into one of our small group leaders before the first service, and uh, he told me, he goes, man, we really took Pastor Joey's sermon to heart last week that we really wanted to work and improve on uh, on preparing for the Lord's Day, preparing for our corporate worship. And so we did what Pastor Joey said, and we wanted to meditate on the Scripture. And, uh, and so I encouraged my whole small group to read the passage before this week. And lo and behold, it was one verse. Just didn't take that long. So, uh, so one verse, all right? Don't try this at home, ladies and gentlemen. Only a preacher can take one verse and make a sermon, all right? So uh, so Ephesians 6, verse 10 is where we're going to start, and uh, we actually have a, a resource that we want to offer you. Uh, if you want to go to the front desk, we've, we've built a 30-day uh, study guide or, or daily devotional that you can use as you prepare for this ser- sermon series, and so they're out at the welcome desk. We're asking one per family this week, and, and we'll see what happens after that, but I uh, really want to encourage you to take this home, you and your family, and, and make this a, uh, a, a journey, that spiritual journey that we take together, and, and we're all thinking and praying about and anticipating the same thing. Um, you guys probably know what dad strength is. Um, dad strength is this gift from the Lord that as a dad, you're always going to be stronger than your children. And, uh, and so, my 14-year-old son, this a few years ago when he was 14, one day stood in his bedroom, and in all sincerity, he said, hey, dad, I can take you. <clears throat> And I laughed, and I'm just like, no, son, you, you really can't. And in all seriousness, he said, hey, Dad, seriously, I, I really can take you. And I said, son, you don't want to do this. And so he goes, yeah, Dad. And so we went at it, right? And when I, I pinned him to the floor, and I just said, look, I'm fat and out of shape, but God gives this thing called dad strength, okay? And I got it, and you don't. And, uh... What I didn't tell him is I lived on Advil and ice packs for the rest of the week, okay? That's the truth of it. But um, my dad's almost 70. He has dad strength. Um, Last time I was working with him, he said, do me a favor, loosen that bolt over there, okay? So I get a wrench out, right? And I'm like, you know, and I can't get this thing to budget. I'm like, Dad, I think this bolt needs a a little WD-40. And he's like, let me see that, son. And I'm like, what? you got to be kidding me. It's dad strength, right? Of course, I was like, I probably loosened it for him a little bit before he got to it, but, but Dad's strength. And so, you know, this morning, and I think one of the things that can be a danger with this passage of Scripture when we look at the Apostle Paul is not to take it in the context of the letter to the Ephesians. And in the letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul starts really two full chapters explaining the gospel and talking about how we, we, we move and live and have our lives in Christ and then he applies that in very specific ways throughout the letter, including our marriages and our homes and our churches. And and then he finishes with this, this spiritual battle that we fight and he encru- encourages us to put on the armor of God. But the armor of God is not this, this separate thing that that we put on and then we, you know, we walk in our own strength. And I think a lot of times this passage is taught in this light and, and applied in this light, and, and what I want to encourage you this morning is that, that the, the armor of God is Christ, and the rest of this sermon is going to point us back to how the gospel of Jesus Christ applies to the very specific pieces of armor that God calls us to put on in Christ in order to fight this thing called a spiritual battle. And so the encouragement is we walk in our dad's strength, right? That's not our own strength, but we're in Christ. He is our strength, and we are strong in his might. And so the armor of God is Christ. And I'm just going to repeat that throughout this sermon so that as we go to the next three weeks, you understand the armor of God is Christ. So do me a favor. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Paul writes, finally, so you know he's sum- summarizing the letter Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. The rest of the sermon series rests on this verse. I I want you to understand this morning that the armor of God is being in Christ. Let me say that again. The armor of God is being in Christ. The armor of God is not standing in your own strength. The armor of God is not mustering up some kind of internal strength or internal fortitude. It is walking in the strength that Christ provides. He is our dad strength, provided through the Holy Spirit. This is not you somehow being the hero of your own story, but rather Jesus Christ is your hero that you look to and you walk in his strength. The armor that God provides is Jesus Christ. Point number one. All right. Now, that sounds really nebulous, doesn't it? What in the world does it mean to walk in Christ? What does that look like? If you're new to church life, but you've been around church people, they use really nebulous terms sometimes, right? Be in Christ, walk in Christ, feast on Christ, right? Have you ever had anybody approach you and say, you need to be saved? Saved from what? You know, like I I don't even know what any of that means. And so what I want to do this morning, before we get into the particulars of the armor, every singular particular of the armor points to being in Christ. You have to be in Christ in order to walk in the strength and the might of the Lord. If you're not in Christ, you can't even begin to put on the armor, and the armor makes no sense at all. And so... We're going to talk about what in the world does it mean to be or being in Christ. Because Paul says, be strong in the Lord. What does it mean to be in the Lord? And so I'm going to start. I'm going to back us up, okay? I've got to go all the way back to the human condition. For you to even understand why you need Christ and why you need to walk in Christ and why he's in your armor. We We have to go all the way back to the human condition. You have to understand who you are and where you are in the presence of a holy God. The message of the Bible is is not you're okay and you need a little tweaking. The message of the Bible is not I'm okay, you're okay, we just need to go to church on occasion. The message of the Bible is not that you're a little bit sick and and you just need a, a little bit of help. The message of the Bible is apart from Christ and apart from the working of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are dead in your sins, you love your sins apart from Christ, and you hate all that God is and all that God stands for. That's our human condition. The Bible makes it clear that apart from the working of the Holy Spirit in your life and apart from you repenting and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're actually at war with God and you're at war with the things of God. Parents, I want to I warn you a little bit. I want to I say something that I hear often and, and it actually kind of bothers me. When you're parenting and your kid does, misbehaves or does something sinful don't be too quick to assure your child of their salvation. I hear this all the time. Well, I know he's he or she, she's a good, she's good. Well, that's not the human condition. When your kid sins, the first thing you want to ask is, man, do you understand the gospel? Because there's not there's nothing more frightening than assuring your child that they're okay when really they're in rebellion to the things of the Lord. Be, but by the way, your declaration over your child means nothing, right? It's what God says about your child, and is your child in Christ? So don't be too quick. Say, "Well, I know they're I, they, they're they're good." No, that's not the message. The message of the Bible is: men, our hearts are consumed with sin, and we're in rebellion to the Lord. John chapter three verse nineteen, which which, by the way we all know John three sixteen, right? That God loved the world. He said, "There's only son who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life." Like we all know John three sixteen and John three seventeen, John three eighteen, where Jesus said, "Man, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world." What he's saying there is his first coming. He came to seek and to save the lost. But the second coming, or the second advent, he is coming to judge the world, and we're to be preparing for the day of the second coming of Christ. John chapter three, verse 19, because Jesus goes on to say, "And wh- you want to know what the judgment is, and this is the judgment, Jesus says. "The light has come into the world, and people loved the what? What's it say? Church loved what? The they loved the darkness more than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. Verse 20, "For everyone who does wicked things hates the light." and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. In other words, Jesus is saying, man, the natural inclination of the human heart is to hate the light. Because deep down, left to ourselves, apart from the gracious working of our Heavenly Father through the work of the Holy Spirit, man, we love the darkness. It's the natural state of the human heart. Romans 1.18 Paul writes this, he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness do what? What's the next thing? They do what, church? They suppress the truth. So there's a reason you live in a culture that's, having, that's at war against the word of God. There's a reason your colleges and our professors are trying to disprove that the Word of God is true. And I'm going to circle back to this in a little bit. Why? Because our natural inclination is to suppress the truth. And the Bible's very clear, man. If we suppress the truth, we leave ourselves in bondage. We don't naturally go to the light. We love the darkness. We suppress the truth. And the Bible says, Paul says, because of that, man, we're, we're at war with God. The wrath of God is revealed against this kind of heart. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, And you who once were alienated, and what? What's the word there? Your mind, apart from Christ, is hostile to the things of God. And when your mind and your heart are hostile to the things of God, the overflow is doing evil deeds. The evil deeds, the sinful deeds that we do, are just an overflow where our mind and our heart already are. We're at war with God. We don't want the things of God apart from Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Write this in your notes. I should have it on the slides. Paul, because we're in the book and we're in the letter, Paul says, Man, you're dead in your sins. Listen, in our plain old human condition, we're at war with God. And by the way, that's a war you're going to lose, correct? You're going to go against your creator. And if we're honest, we know this to be true. And apart from God and the work of his spirit in our hearts, man, the Bible's very clear. We love our sin and we love unrighteousness. And here's the deal. We don't want anyone to be the boss of me. I'll be my own authority, thank you very much. I'm going to circle back to this and make it really practical in just a moment. And so the Bible's very clear, man. This puts us, apart from Christ, as enemies, and I want you to hear me on this, of God's very character. You need to be saved from the character of God. I don't know if you ever thought about that. You need to be saved from God's holy wrath against sin and unrighteousness. That's why in John chapter 3, the beginning of John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, what does he say? Your only hope, Nicodemus, is to be what? Anybody know? Born again, right? Right? You need a heart transformation. You need the Holy Spirit. The Spirit goes where it wishes. And you need your heart to be restored and redeemed by the Word of God so you even have the ability to repent and believe. Because otherwise, man, you're just going to keep loving your sin. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. That's your only hope. The war apart from Christ is that we're enemies with God. I talked about this on Easter Sunday. God is perfect And so in order to go to heaven, guess what? We have to be perfect. And anyone that is imperfect will be justly condemned by the holy character of God. That's every single one of us in this room apart from Christ. The message of the gospel is not be good or try hard or do your best or hope your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. The message of the gospel is you need something much bigger than that. You need to be saved from the penalty of your sin. So when you run into a Christian and say, are you saved? They're talking about the fact that you're a sinner and you deserve the holy wrath of God and you need to be saved from the holy wrath of God. Or you're at war with your Creator. You need a Savior. In Mark chapter 1, when Jesus started His earthly ministry, and I love this. I think it's so defining, and we're going to park here for a few minutes. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says this, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, we're close There's two advents of Christ, right? There's the first advent where he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to tell us that God loves us, God saved us in the person and work of Christ. And there's a second coming where he's coming to judge the world and all of his enemies. And he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. You better prepare for that second coming. So how do we put on the armor? How do we walk in Christ? It's not this nebulous thing. Ready? The time is fulfilled, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is at hand. What do we do? We repent and we believe in the gospel. By the way, what does gospel mean? Anybody know? Gospel means what? It means good news, Right? Listen, i, I got to park on the bad news so you understand the good news. The problem with the American presentation of the gospel is it's incomplete. Most of the time when you go to a church and they present the gospel, what is it that we most often hear? You need to accept Jesus into your what? All right, only me and two other people. No one wants to say it. What if he calls me out? All right, that's the, that's the message we usually hear. you got to accept Jesus in your heart. That's incomplete. It's not incorrect. It's incomplete. That's the believe portion of Jesus' message. Believe upon Christ. Have him consume your heart. But you can't accept Jesus into your heart while you still love your sin. It, there's no, in that message, there's nothing to do with sin. And that's why when I present the gospel, I always do what Jesus did in Mark chapter 1. The gospel is repent and believe in the good news. You want to put on the armor of Christ? Repent of your sin. Repentance of sin. And and so to repent of sin, we have to understand what sin is, and we have to acknowledge it as sin. The word repentance, I mean the word sin, um, it's an archery term. It, It literally means to miss the mark. What mark have we missed? We've missed the mark of God's holy perfection. God, for us to go to heaven, demands perfection. He demands a bullseye, and we've missed the bullseye. And by the way, here here comes the rabbit trail. It's going to get me in trouble already. We're so bound up in our sin. Our hearts are so darkened in our own unrighteousness. Romans 1, we don't, we don't even, John 3, we don't want the light, we want the darkness. Romans 1, we don't want the truth, we suppress the truth. We're so bound up in our own thing that we can't even determine what is right, wrong, sinful, holy, moral, and good. We, that needs to happen for us. That's why we need the Word of God. That's why there's a cultural war right now on the Word of God. Because left to ourselves, man, we'll define morality, yes? I could sing a hundred songs that have been written in American culture that have somewhere in the song, it feels so right, it can't be what? Right? Name the song. Country song, secular song, whatever. It feels so right, it can't be wrong. See, we can't determine right and wrong on our own because we'll just leave it to what feels right in the moment. And it certainly can't be left up to the majority. That's the culture we live in. Majority rules, right? And so majority is now defining for us morality. This country has done some horrible, sinful things in the name of the majority. We've seen other countries incinerate six million Jews because the majority said it was okay. The majority can be wrong and sinful. We need help from outside of us to define right from wrong. We have to to say, man, I I can't even be the boss of me because my heart's too captivated by sin to even know right from wrong. A couple weeks ago, I laid in front of you guys some new potential elders, right? And I I talked about, I, I, made one, I, I gave some sermons, we uploaded some sermons on Facebook where I did a whole teaching on these things, but I talked to this church about, hey, we, at Coastal we believe, First Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 3, that the office of pastor and elder is reserved for men according to the scriptures, and I watched people get up and leave the service. See, I can sit here and talk about things that the culture's telling us differently than the Word of God, and even for believers, I feel like we recoil, and we shouldn't, because God's Word is good for us, God's Word gives us life, God's Word gives us hope, God's Word gives us joy, God's Word gives us purpose, and every time we cave and give in, we're giving away our freedoms that God designed for us. Let me say that one more time, because I don't think some of y'all believe me. Every time we bend off of God's Word, we're giving away the freedoms and the goodness God designed for us. Yes, church? Absolutely. So now let me make it uncomfortable, right? Like in your homes, men, you're to love your wives as Jesus loved this church. You're supposed to get to know her and date her and find out about her and love her unconditionally. Ephesians 5. Women, you're to submit to your husbands as the spiritual authorities and respect him. And there's authority in the country. where Romans 13. We're to submit to our governments. There's authority in your church. You to submit to your spiritual leaders. Children, you're to obey your parents. Ephesians chapter six. They're placed there as an authority over your life to protect you. God defines sex and sexuality, defines marriage for us between one man and one woman. And sex is reserved in the the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. So if you're here this morning and you're dating somebody and you're sleeping with that person, you're you're breaking what's best for you, God's commands. And if you want to be a spiritual, you should break up with one another right now until you can pursue Christ if you're married and you're flirting with someone that's not your spouse, that needs to end today because you're not doing what's best for you. And here's what's troubling to me. It's not the culture out there that's clashing with the Word of God. I expect that. But as I say some of these things, and I found I found this to happen more and more, even here at Coastal, where when I talk about these hard truths, it's like the life is sucked out of this building. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, we're believers. Why are we so scared to say what is true? Because the Word of God is good for us and true and gives us hope and life and joy and purpose. Let's not shy away from the uncomfortable things. And I've got great news for you. The more the culture goes away from the Word of God, I get more excited about the church because the church always throughout history thrives in that environment. Always. Thrives. what bothers me is not the them out there. It's that I'm seeing churches now begin to put into leadership men and women who are in sexual sin or ordaining homosexuals as spiritual leaders. And I'm thinking, man, when you begin to call righteous what God calls unrighteous, you cease to be a church. Be something else, but don't be a church. Sin is missing the mark of God's holiness. Man, we we're so bound up in sin according to the Scriptures in our hearts, we, we can't even define it for ourselves. We have to submit to the authority of God's Word. That's the only way we can know truth. It's the only way we can know unrighteousness because sin leaves us enslaved. It leaves us powerless, joyless, and in bondage. And ultimately, it leads us, Romans 6.23, to the path of death. For the wages of sin is what, church? Death. You can't put on the armor of God while you're enslaved to sin. You need to Repent. So the first step to repentance is acknowledging sin, even knowing what it is according to the Scriptures. And secondly, repentance is literally to turn from sin. It's a 180 degree turn. I'm doing things my own way. Uh, The Scriptures reveals to me what is sinful, and I repent and I pursue something that's righteous and good and holy. Man, when you know what your sin is, it should grieve you. There should be a sorrow. There should be a brokenness. Psalm 51, I would encourage you to read Psalm 51 today. David's response to being confronted with his sin with Bathsheba and adultery and murder. He writes Psalm 51, a beautiful psalm about what our repentance should look like. In fact, we, when you repent, you hate your sin so much that you're willing to do whatever you need to do to cut it out of your life. Pastor Joey made a great statement last week. I don't know if you picked up on it. He said, man, if you're struggling with pornography, be so serious about your hatred with sin. You're willing to get rid of your smartphone and just go to a dumb phone because you're like, man, I don't want to even have that temptation in my pocket. Or in the seat next to me, or on the tabletop next to me, man. I'm, just, I'm willing to take electronics seriously. And so repentance, though, and the message of the gospel is not just turning from something, okay? Because if we just say Retur- return from sin, your mind's going to constantly go, well, what is it, what is it? We have to turn to something, right? It's like with your children. Hey, kids, I, don't go in the cookie jar today. Like, that's not going to be enough. They're going to be like, man, what is in that cookie jar? you got to give them something positive to do. Like, kids, turn from the cookie jar and go out and cut the yard. They'll be thrilled to do it. Okay? And so... So the gospel is, yes, it's turned from something, but it's also turned to something. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.1, Paul says, you then, my child, be strengthened. How are we strengthened? By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Our strength comes in believing. Repent and believe in the person and the work and the authority of Jesus Christ. We have to believe in Christ. He is our strength, according to the apostle Paul. And what is the person of Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus is the Son of God. If you're going to be a Christian, you have to know who Jesus is. He's not just a prophet. He's the Son of God. At Christmas time, we call him Emmanuel, which means what? Anybody know? God what? With us, right? He tabernacled with us. John chapter 1. He pitched his tent and he, he joined us in the flesh, God in flesh. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. It's a mysterious, it's a mystery to be sure, but he's been tempted in all the ways as we've been tempted, yet he has done it without sin. That is the person of Christ. And what is the work of Christ? Christ lived a perfect life, he was perfectly righteous. He never left a debt of injustice with either God or man. He was the perfect substitutionary atonement for our sin. Jesus, by the way, if you ever wonder, man, how much does God hate sin? All you have to do is read the Gospels and consider the broken body of Christ where he was whipped beyond recognition until he was just a hanging piece of meat with a crown of thorns put on his head and then he was crucified, one of the most suffering, elongated, elongated ways to ever do- die devised by man. This horrible crucifixion. And why did God do that? So that we have a picture of how much God God hates sin. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, man, it's not just this ritual that we do. We consider, man, that's how much God hates my sin, and that was the cost of my freedom. The broken body of Christ, the work of Christ. The biblical word for that is the word propitiation, that God just didn't forgive our sins. He paid for our sins through his son, Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Thank goodness we don't leave him on the cross, though. He was buried, and the work of Jesus, he rose again, authenticating his claims to be the very Son of God, the Messiah. So when I'm, as a believer, when I am tempted to sin... The greatest message that you can preach to your heart is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't just say, man, i got to stop this. i got to be good. Remind yourself of the incredible payment of God through, that Jesus took from his Father when God poured out his holy wrath on Jesus. When you're tempted to sin, remind yourself, that was the payment for my disobedience. You preach the gospel to yourself. You preach the person and the work of Christ to your heart and mind. Jesus Christ is the armor of God. I love how Hebrews ten twenty nine I always say, I don't know exactly what he means, but the author of Hebrews says, man, we trample the blood of Christ underfoot. That terrifies me. It just makes it sound like you, you take what Jesus did and you make it common in your thinking and in your heart. And then Christ is coming again, the work of Christ. He's coming again. When he comes, the second advent, he's going to vanquish all of his enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. They will all be conquered fully and finally. And we're in the in-between time, what I call the now and not yet of the kingdom. Mark chapter 1, the kingdom of God is at hand. Yes, the kingdom of God is not yet. Yes. Yes. Here's the incredible truth of the gospel. When you repent of your sin and you believe in who Jesus said he is, the, right, the works of Jesus, his righteousness, are now graciously and mercifully and lovingly gifted to you by grace through faith alone. It's not earned. Isn't that great news? And so one day when you stand before God on the judgment seat, the judgment seat, and God says, Why should I let you into heaven? All you say is, You know what? I took you at your word. You said if I repent of my sins and believe in your son that his righteousness becomes my righteousness. That's my only hope. And that's why we can stand together sometimes and we sing the song. "Man, Our God is true to his promises. Why? Because we take him at his word. That's the gospel message. Thirdly, how do we put on Christ? How do we believe in Christ? We remember the authority of Christ. Paul says to be strong in the Lord. The word Lord is a a positional word. Jesus is not some tack-on to our life. He's the superiority of rule and reign. He's the object of our worship. He's our all in all. He's our hero. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, Paul writes, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? What's it say, church? Lord. That's the position he has in my life. And God raised him from the dead. Man, I will be saved. Saved from what? The penalty of my sin. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. We believe in the person, the work, and the authority of Christ. Alone. Repent and believe. The armor of God is Christ. And when we put on Christ, we are in Christ. We're putting on the armor of God. And Paul then says, in that, when you're in Christ... You can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. What is the strength of His might? Three things. I'm going to move through this. What is the strength of His might? First of all, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We can't stand. We can't fight. We can't be strong. We can't do anything of eternal value. We must be in Christ. Jesus taught us this in John chapter 15 when He said, Abide in Me, I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what, church? Nothing. You want to be strong in the Lord? You've got to be in Christ. Christ is the armor. And the armor is Christ. And why is the armor Christ? Here's the second thing. Let's get Trinitarian, okay? We've offended our Creator or wrath with our Heavenly Father. God in His grace substitutes His only Son as a punishment for our sin. He raises Him from the dead by the Spirit of God. And the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. The Spirit of Christ lives in us. Romans 8 verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Isn't that great news? The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, if you're here today, your Christian, lives in you. He's molding you, he's shaping you in the image of Christ. He is, Christ is the armor. Even the grave doesn't have final say over Christians. That's why we don't have to worry about death. Why? Because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. How awesome is that? Church, the armor is Christ. We put on Christ, we get his spirit that empowers us to become more and more like Christ. The final thing that the Spirit of God does, it gives us the perspective of Christ. And what is the perspective of Christ? It's to remember that life is just a temporary assignment to to bring glory to Him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the author of Hebrews says, We look to Jesus, who's the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. How did he endure the cross? He thought ahead. He had an eternal perspective. He despised its shame. And now he's seated at the, right hand of God, at the right hand of the throne of God. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, guess what? We're heirs. We're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You gain the inheritance of Christ. And I hope that inspires you. All the blessings that the Heavenly Father has poured out on His Son Jesus are ours when the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We're heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. Here it is. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We can endure difficulty because we have an eternal perspective. Why? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Don't misquote that verse by the way. Don't, you know, your your 12-year-old's having a bad day on the sports field and you look at him and say, "Listen, you can do it because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You're going to be a professional athlete." It's a lie. All right? You can only do what God intends for you to do. And Philippians 4:13 13 is about be actually it's about contentment and suffering. Paul says, I've learned to have plenty. I've learned to be without. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We can, we why? Because we have the mind of Christ. The armor of God is having the mind of Christ. So we view our difficulties as a temporary assignment to bring glory to God. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this about his own suffering. He says, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Parents, don't focus the eyes of the heart of your children on the things that are seen. Don't make it all about the education. Don't make it all about the job. And all those things are important in order to bring glory to God, in order to be a godly family. Like you have to make an income and all that's important. But man, those are things that are transient. Make sure your children know the gospel of Jesus Christ above all. That's the things that are unseen. Paul says the things we go to, man, they go through, they're preparing us for this day where these things, he calls his suffering momentary and light. And by the way, just for fun, Paul Paul actually defines for us what he considers light and momentary afflictions just a couple chapters later in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Check this out. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, okay? I know some of you are thinking about drugs, okay? It's not drugs, okay? Listen, Paul, people literally took rocks and threw them at the Apostle Paul because he's a Christian, if you can even imagine. Suffering. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. I didn't even know if he was going to live. I was on frequent journeys. I was in danger from rivers and dangers from robbers, and dangers from my own people, dangers from gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst. Often, Paul says, without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from uh, these other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. I mean, can you even imagine? Paul says these things are momentary and light afflictions for the things coming for me. Isn't that amazing? When we were in Thailand. I was kind of poking fun at more of ourselves than this verse, but I was using this verse because I was like, man, we're suffering here in Thailand. We got slow internet kind of funny. Anyway. <laughs> my bed's uncomfortable, <clears throat> struggling with time change, and there's no late night dessert. Those were my sufferings. I just said they're momentary and light, you know. But whatever we go through, man, we have to have the perspective of Christ that our circumstances are a temporary assignment. We think about the joy set before us, we think about an eternal perspective. Why? Because the armor is Christ. The armor is Christ. The armor is Christ. Every piece of the armor we're about to look at refers back to the gospel. Because the armor is Christ. I've told you a story before I'll tell this quickly and then we'll close with prayer. 1 Samuel 17 a lot of y'all know the story of David and Goliath right where the nation of Israel's kind of at opposite sides with the Philistines, and every day the Philistines send out this giant named Goliath, and he taunts the nation of Israel, he taunts the God of Israel. And he, each day he dares them to a one-on-one battle, right? He has to do this one-on-one battle, and and whoever wins, if if your best soldier defeats me, the Philistines will submit to the Israelites. If I, the Goliath defeats the Israelite, best soldier then Israel will submit to the Philistines. And this goes on day after day after day. Goliath curses the God of Israel. And finally, David, the shepherd boy, he's not the king at this point. He's a little shepherd boy. His dad tells him to bring some food to his brothers. He goes up to the front line. He brings food to his brothers. And he hears this God cursing Philistine making fun of Israel, making fun of the God of Israel. And David can't stand it anymore. So he goes to King Saul. He says, I'll take him on and he gives his resume, which is fascinating. He's like, you know, listen, defending my dad's sheep, I've taken on bear and lion in hand-to-hand combat. What? You know, like, you got to be kidding me, right? This is man's man. And you know the story, right? He gets the five stones and sling, and he faces Goliath. He puts the stone right in the forehead, chops his head off with his very own, with Goliath's very own sword, and claims victory. And usually when this story is told, I'm going to poo-poo it a little bit, okay? So usually when this story is told, here's what you're told. Now go out and face your giants. Get your sling, get your stone, and go out and take on all the things that plague you. The problem is, if you're like me, you fall down so many times, you begin to wonder, like, where's the strength? Why do I keep stumbling? Why do, why do I have this particular sin that I stumble with, and I stumble with, and I stumble with, and I stumble with, and I stumble with? And I, stumble with and I, I want to, and I pray, and like Lord, where, you know, where is it? Where's the victory? I want to be David. And I think the problem is we misapply First Samuel seventeen. I don't think the point of the story is that you're David. I think the point of the story is you're the quivering, scared Israelites, and you need a savior. David is the type of Christ. And so the, the message and the hope for me is no longer go out there and be a victor. The message and the hope for you in this battle with sin is Christ is the armor. Put on Christ. The reason you don't have any victory is because there's an idol in your heart that you think is going to bring you life, and you keep bowing to that sin, sexual sin, short temper, mismanagement of stewardship of funds, the list goes on and on and on, because you think whatever, that somehow that's going to bring you life, you keep bowing to that idol, and I'm saying the message of the gospel is repent of that sin and feast on Christ. And what does it mean to feast on Christ? It means to contemplate the gospel, it means to be in his word, it means to anticipate and be at corporate worship where we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that encourage our hearts. It means to surround yourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ that love you enough that when they see that you're walking on the path of death, they'll say, hey listen, uh, I think you're on the path of death. I just want to correct your behavior because I know you want to feast on Christ. It means that you find a place to serve. Remember, this is our, what's our what's our vision of Coastal? Develop authentic followers of Christ to connect, grow, and serve. It means that you serve others. You fill your time with serving others with the mission and the purpose of the gospel. It means that you have other brothers in Christ that when the temptation's really hard in the middle of the night, they love you enough and you love them enough to call them say, man, I'm really struggling with a particular temptation or this particular sin. And that brother or sister in Christ says, hey, come on over and I'm going to help you walk the path of righteousness. It's not go out there and be your own enemy. It's feast on Christ at all costs. Because the armor is Christ. The message of the gospel is Christ. The life that you live is Christ. Mark chapter 1, Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. That is the message that saves us. It's the message that grows us. It's the message that glorifies us. Never leave Christ Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. The armor is Christ. Feast on Christ. Hate your sin. Treasure Christ. Repent of your sin. Worship Christ. Die to your sin. Christ, your superhero, your all in all, the armor is Christ. Let's close with prayer. Father, I think about the particular sins that I struggle with, and and if I'm honest in those moments, I I want my own convenience, I want my own way. I don't want the authority of your word. I don't want patience. I don't want long-suffering. I, I don't want the mind of Christ. I've adopted the thinking of the world where I just, I just want it to be safe, soft, easy, and comfortable all the time. And I confess that I need to turn from my idols and my sin. I need to feast on Christ, prayer, word, community. psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that uplift my mind and my soul. And for us as a church, God, that we would submit ourselves to your authority, the authority of your word, and above all else, worship Christ. we take serious the sin, whether we're an unbeliever and we've never considered, man, I'm I'm under the wrath of God or I'm a believer that keeps stumbling and falling because I do love my sin, my particular sin, more than I love Christ. God, will we be a people that repent of our sin and we feast on Christ, His word, His community, His serving, singing above all else because we believe your way is best, God. And you bring joy, and you bring hope, and you bring purpose, and you are the grantor of eternal life. And we give you thanks for that. As we go through this series, may we continually remember that the armor is Christ. May we be strong in the Lord and walk in the strength of his might. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.